All right, well, we are in week two of our series on a very, very small book. Uh, it's a book that it's uh, only 25 verses long. And uh, if you were not here with us um, last week, this book was written by the Apostle Paul. And I want to show you uh, uh, the maps that I showed you last week just to give us a refresher. The red lines here, the red arrows, uh, that is Paul's second missionary journey. So here's what Paul did. Paul was saved. He went away. He, he uh, studied. Uh, he was away for a, a number of years. And then he was tasked with uh, going all throughout Asia Minor. And he did four major journeys. And this was his second missionary journey. Now, if you look at the city roads right there, right above the city or the area of roads, you have uh, Ephesus. Now, the reason that's important for us this morning is because um, Philemon, and this is who the letter uh, is written to, Philemon most likely was saved in the city of Ephesus. And so on his missionary journey, Philemon was a wealthy landowner. And most likely here in Ephesus, Philemon heard the gospel, understood he didn't have it, professed faith in Christ, and was absolutely transformed. And so what the scenario is for our letter is Paul... Um, is in Ephesus, and he is, uh, he is arrested. He is in prison. And he meets this guy, Onesimus, not knowing who Onesimus was originally. Onesimus turned out to be from Colossae. If you go 100 miles scaled to your right, uh, you have Colossae, and that was where Philemon was from. That's where he was from. And it turns out Onesimus was a slave was a servant of Philemon. And what we know happened was Onesimus, he ran away. He betrayed uh, his job, his owner, Philemon, and he went to probably, Ephesus was at the time, the biggest cosmopolitan city uh, right there on the coast. And um, in God's providence, he meets Paul and he hears the gospel. And his life is utterly changed. And Paul is developing this relationship with Onesimus. And uh, we don't know a whole lot of where Philemon is or what he thinks about Onesimus. But Paul knows Philemon and knows Philemon is a Christian. And the whole point of this letter for, for Paul is, okay, how can I take this estranged slave, this servant of Philemon, both now who are Christians, and how can I bring them together? So if you had to write a letter as the mediator, what would you say? If you're trying to bring two people together, what would you say? What would be the most effective way to bring Onesimus, this runaway slave, the betrayer, with Philemon, the betrayed? I mean, think about your own life. Think about two parties. Maybe you're the one that's been hurt, or you're the one that has hurt. What does it take for you to come together? What does reconciliation look like in your life? Has that happened before? And what are the principles of it? And that's what this letter is about. It's 25 verses on that. It's a very, very short book. Paul, as we looked at last week, sets up Philemon by saying this. Just to get you up to speed, we're going to start at verse 8. He says this, Philemon, you're a great dude. (laughs) You actually hold a Bible study in your home. You are with your wife and your son. Uh, 
and Paul and Timothy see this, know this, hear about it. Thank you for loving the gospel so much that you'd hold a small group Bible study in your house. And you know what? The people that are coming are being ministered to. I know you feel and experience the love of God. And he sets them up and he wants Philemon to know um, how, um, how he is seen. He starts, off, uh, he starts it off that way. And then this is kind of where we, we ended last week. He writes this, and this is verse 8. This is where we're going to start from this morning. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Have you ever seen a mom or a dad look to a, a son or a daughter and say, hey, you guys, you got to be friends now, and you got to be close brother and sister now. So, ready? Mark said, go, start now. I mean, how well does that work? It'll get a kid to be quiet. It'll get a kid to maybe not fight with his brother or sister. But does the reconciliation really happen when it's kind of mandated? When there's this dictum to, boom, you've got to do this. Rarely does it ever happen. And Paul knows this. And there, there's a real sense in this letter where um, Paul knows his limits, and Paul is restricted here. And I think you and I, we both know that we're limited in really affecting heart change. We, we know when we're stuck, right? We know when uh, we have hit our limit, and this is just the way it is. Like last night, I was at the Straws Center watching my beautiful girl do her dance recital and there were like 80,000 dance routines about 90 seconds to two minutes long and I knew that I was stuck there <laughs> hey I love they're cute as heck are you kidding me and uh but then you know it just gets on loop and you're just kind of like this is a blur like are there tutus smiley happy plie la 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 great go I can't leave no go and, you know, it's funny because the, the best part for me was, the, I mean, they're so cute. These little two, three, and four-year-olds, they come out there, and they, they, they went to leave, and there were two little girls that were kind of stuck there, and they kind of got discombobulated, and they were looking around, and they kind of got nervous, and they kind of came close together like, we don't know where to go, and all the other girls had left, and they're just kind of looking at each other. I'm like, this is awesome. This is, this is entertainment here. This is what I'm waiting for. <laughs> That's terrible. It shows you my mind. And, and finally, they were ushered off. Um, but when you get in that place where you know you cannot do what you want to do. Did you hear about the, uh, what happened at the Cincinnati Zoo a few days ago? A four-year-old falls into a gorilla cage, essentially. And this four-year-old falls between the, the uh, bars and this 400-pound gorilla comes and grabs this four-year-old and kind of drags it across the moat and is sitting there with uh, this four-year-old. And they said for a few minutes, um, I mean, while they were watching it happen, the gorilla wasn't that aggressive just sitting there. And, you know, I've never been a zookeeper. Uh, I went to zoo camp one time. Um, and, you know, I, I've never really bonded with, you know, but I can't imagine if you're a zookeeper and you've taken care of these animals for years and years and years, the love that you have for them. 
And here's this gorilla, and here's this four-year-old. And apparently, the, the four-year-old was sitting right in between the gorilla's leg, and the gorilla was not doing anything aggressive. And at that moment, those zookeepers had to make the decision. They can't win. They're limited in what they can do. They cannot affect change. They cannot make this gorilla, right, speak and say, hey, I really like this four-year-old, and I'm going to not do anything bad to it. And they can't get the four-year-old to become an adult and say, no, and it's okay. I think this gorilla really likes me. They had to make a decision, and they were so restricted. And so they shot the gorilla. Imagine that moment. You cannot affect the change that you want to implement. And there's a real sense in which Paul, in this moment, he says, you know what? I can make something happen, but I want real change to happen. And you know what? That is only going to come if there is love. And love will only come where there is God. Because I, be- I, I could make a behavior happen. I could, what, what is that saying? Paul could say, I'm the pastor of pastors, right? And I can say, hey, you, Onesimus, were saved under my ministry, and so were you, Philemon. And so you need to come together, and you need to treat each other this way. And Onesimus, when you go back, Philemon, you should treat him this way. But he knew true reconciliation couldn't happen. Have you been there? Have you been there when someone's hurt you? And you know that you don't have it inside of you to love that person. In and of yourself, you cannot love that person because your human love has limits. Your self-rule cannot get you to say it's okay. Or when you've hurt somebody else, your self-love, if you will, can't get you to forgive yourself. And Paul's in a bind here because here's what he knows. He knows that healing in relationships, it rarely occurs when motivated by authority. I mean, that may, may be occasionally the catalyst to get things going, but what? Change has to happen. Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. On the basis, what? Of God sharing His love with you and with me. When we've never experienced anything, and then you know when God invaded your soul and you were changed, when you were regenerated, and how that changed you and changed your world. You could love, why? Because you have been loved yourself. That is the only way. And then when that happens, what, what does it look like? Because it, imagine if you would have been in Greco-Roman society and you were a fellow landowner with Philemon and you were just the land next to him and you knew about Onesimus. What could Philemon have done if Onesimus came back? Hey man, it's, it's first century you can go sadistic on them. In fact, all the way to death. That would have been the norm. Well, yeah, he betrayed you. And most likely, Onesimus, before he was saved, before he met Paul, probably took a mess of stuff. And for him to go back to Philemon, and Philemon to receive him and say, well, no, okay, you came back and you're going to get it. In fact, you're gonna, I'm going to take your life because of what you've done to me. You are mine, and I am going to give you what? What you deserve. Culture says, hey, do what you need to do, Philemon. But the gospel says something else. Because when you think about this, when you think about the whole idea of slavery, 
I mean, what's the system of slavery that we know of? It's a system of domination. It's you dominate those that are below you, right? There's a pecking order, and you want to be at the top, and you dominate them, which turns into um, oppression, which then turns into exploitation. That's what ultimately is going to happen. And to the, the average mind, you know, yeah, this is, this is the way it would work. I mean, if, if you're under somebody, but you know what? Jesus flips this whole thing and says, you know, you know in fact, Paul says this in, in the Galatians and in Ephesians. He says, look, here's what I, I, want, I want it to be. Here's, here's the law of love playing itself out. Husbands, when you are in a marriage relationship, you know what obviously love does to you? It makes you want to serve your wife. So you're going to serve her. And then you know what it says right after that? So wives, submit to your husbands. I mean, in our society, that sounds, that sounds irrational. Wait, wait. You're telling me I'm supposed to submit? The Bible says yes. Wait, wait, wait. But the Bible's saying when husbands are enamored with their wives and they have the love of Jesus, here's what they do. They serve. They find a way to serve and become literally a slave, a doulos to their wives. And in that moment, you know what's going to happen? Submission. The wife will submit to the husband. You know what? When, when you are a master, you find a way to love your servant so much, to set them up for so much, so much success, that you know when it says in the Bible, slaves, obey your masters? The assumption is, it's not broken, that if you are the employer, you are not going to exploit anybody. You're going to find a way to love them and set them up for success. The assumption for Christian parents are, you are going to love and serve your kids. And so when kids look at their parents, they're going to obey them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Do that. In fact, Jesus begins to talk about this upside-down kingdom. He says things like this, the way up is the way down. What? Everything in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Jesus, it's counterintuitive. The way you think, it's actually the opposite. That's why it's the upside-down kingdom. And he says things like this in Matthew 20. Here's what Jesus says about the way in which we can um, live. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you, Christian. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, love doesn't strong arm. Love doesn't legislate. Love doesn't have this mandate. Love, what does it do? It serves. When you serve somebody, when you're a slave to somebody, what are you to that person? You are absolutely vulnerable. You're vulnerable, right? To be hurt, to be exploited, to be oppressed, but that's the freedom that Jesus had. He goes, here's what I'm going to do to you, Christian. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to give you the truth. I'm going to be your resurrection. I'm going to be your gate. I'm going to be your way. 
I'm going to be your life. And I'm going to do all that, climaxing with taking this cross and carrying it down the Via Dolorosa all the way to Golgotha. And I'm going to serve you by dying for you. That's the way I love you. That's what love is. And so what Paul is saying here is, though I could just tell you, say, you got to do it this way. No, I'm not going to do that at all. I appeal to you on love, on the basis of love. Have you ever seen someone with authority serve? Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? So one of my, when I came home for uh, a couple summers after Florida State, um, after my, actually, after my freshman year, so we came back from Chicago, so hey, thankful not to be there anymore. So cold, it's a terrible place to live. Um, got a job at Famous Tate. Famous Tate Electric, right? Washers and dryers. And um, my buddy, my roommate Mike and I got a job. And if you don't know him, John Horst is the owner of Famous Tate. And so we get on the job. We're there. I think it's the second day we're there. And they give us these little razors, right? And he had bought this, he bought this new little annex building. And it had this uh, film, like this uh, tinted film on, on the window. And so we had these like, little razor blades and we're just, you know, I mean, awesome work, right? Just get to do that for a long time. And, um, you know, he's got, I don't know how many stores. And, uh, you know, within about a couple hours, second day on work, uh, second day on the job, here's John. And he opens the door and he's like, hey, Frank, Mike, you guys, uh, you guys want to go to lunch? Yeah, yeah, we would. Um, and, uh, okay, well, uh, hmm, what would you think about going to Buddy Freddy's? <laughs> Have you ever been to Buddy Freddy's? That's home-style cooking. That means they bring the mashed potatoes and put it on the, put it on the table. They bring the, you know, the beans and, and the meat, and you just kind of take it. It's on the table, and you just go after it. And I knew this, and so did Mike, and we were, you know, gorillas is what we were, um, and uber excited about it. And um, I had to be, I, I remember I had to, I, I needed to leave from Buddy Freddy's, and um, so I needed to drive. And so John looked at me and he goes, hey, do you mind if, uh, if I ride with you guys? I was like, okay, yeah, you can ride with us. You know, the owner, this is the, this is the, the hoo-ha. And uh, so I have, have, you know, I have a 1989 red box Nissan Sentra 5-speed, right? It's got intermittent uh, windshield wipers. That was the big, you know, uh, option on it that I had. Awesome. You know, rolled up windows, two small speakers, the dial, AM, FM. Um, and we go to get in this little tiny two-door, you know, Sentra. And Mike goes to get in the back seat. And John's like, no, 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 I, I want to, I'm going to sit, you're bigger than I am. Well, are you kidding me? And so I'd sit, I, I don't know if you've ever sat in the back seat of a Nissan Sentra. So here's the owner of Famous Tate in my back seat, right, with his knees up like this, like in the fetal position, you know, <laughs> all right, guys, here we go. I'm like, are you kidding? I mean, I have short legs. Yeah, thank you very much. And he, I mean, and I was squished for me and he's in the back uh, kind of squished there right behind me, and I'm nervous, and he just begins to pepper us with questions. Like, hey, so what are you guys studying? What are you going to do? Like, and it was all about us. 
And when we got to Buddy Freddy's, it was all about what we wanted. And of course, he was going to pay for everything. And he was just, in a weird way, he was kind of like enamored with us. I'm like, we're like not that interesting, you know? And he was asking us stuff. And I just thought, are you kidding me? Is this for real? This is the owner of all these stores, John Horst, treats me like, like I don't deserve to be treated, like he is serving me. And I am the, you know, the grunt. Why would he do that? What's inside of him that he would treat some whatever um, like, uh, like me? In the first service, right after the first service, uh, a 20-year-old guy comes up to me and goes, Hey, I just started working uh, landscape for uh, Famous Tate, and John's done that the past couple weeks. I just started. It's weird. I'm like, I know. What's that about, man? I'm like, this is who this guy is, right? He, I mean, he does this. He looks for ways to serve. How powerful is that? Because what we know is the way up is the way down, and when you show love and, get ex- and you get to experience love, it sets the, con- the, the context for reconciliation when your job is to serve, when you know that your Savior has served you. All right, so you got to hold uh, authority very loosely in these things. It's got to be motivated by loves. What else does he do? What's, what's the next thing he does in this letter, trying to get Onesimus and Philemon together? He, he writes, I then, verse, verse 9, I then is Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He's a smart guy. Paul's so smart. This is about 350 words. The, 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 the book is about 350 words long. This is about 145 words, and he never even uses the word Onesimus yet. He, he talks to Philemon about who he is. He hasn't even had the ask yet. He sets him up, right? Sets him up, telling him who he is. And then, what does he say here about Onesimus? You gotta, and I know you know this, because um, he hasn't been gone for long, is that Onesimus is a young believer. And you've known the Lord longer than him. He is a young believer. Remember when you just got saved. Remember right? Remember the way you were. Remember how excited you were, but all the stuff that was still, what? That was still in your life. Philemon, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that if you're going to hold this grudge against Onesimus, and I hope you don't. I hope you can remember. Just from He's a young believer. And then he does something. Formerly, verse 11, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. This is a play on words. The word Onesimus in the Greek means useful. What is he saying here? He's like, he's saying, I know when Onesimus, whose name means useful, was there with you before anything, he was useless. And ironically, after he leaves and he comes to Ephesus, what? His name actually means what it should mean because he is useful because he knows the Lord. And he, he has a relationship with him. And I'm in, I'm in Onesimus' life. And you know what? He can be useful both to you and to me. I mean, consider, consider that, Paul. Please, consider that. Paul is saying, look, I am an aging prisoner. 
And he was useless to you, but now he is useful to you. In fact, he goes on in verse 12. He says, I'm going to send him. I'm going to send him back to you. He's in Ephesus, and he's my boy, and he's my apprentice. I'm sending him who is my very heart. He's my heart. What do we know is happening? Onesimus is like apprenticing under Paul in, while he's a prisoner. And, and he's my very heart, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send him back to you. You know what? Verse 13, I would have liked to have kept him because when you're an old guy like me and you're in prison and you still got work to do and you got a new convert and he loves the Lord and he's excited, man, that is so helpful to have next to you. And I would have liked to, kept, to, uh, to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I don't want to do anything without your consent. Because here's what I know, Philemon. He hurt you. He betrayed you. And here's what the gospel frees us up to do. Go back and make right our wrongs. We don't have to be scared of our failures. We can go back and look, you know, our employer in the eye, those that we've hurt in the eye, and say, we've hurt, I've hurt you. And I know he's free to do that because he's living in the gospel. And I don't want to do anything without your consent because he's here and he shouldn't be here and I know he ran away and I know he betrayed you so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. And I want him to go back to you and make things right so that any correspondence we have or any interaction we have together is really from you, from your heart. Because I don't want anything forced. I don't want anything artificial. Who have you had reconciliation with, quote, reconciliation, and it's not real? Who have you said, I forgive, and you really haven't? You sit at the table with them. You do the family get-together. You do the friendship, grabbing a beer or a coffee, but you know it's not reconciled because you're supposed to do it, but nothing's happened in your heart. Or who haven't you forgiven? Who haven't you forgiven? Because you know what? They hurt you, dadgummit. And that is inside of you. And Paul knows that he can't control this. He can't force something here. I know in my heart, it's hurt. It's pride that I want to hang on to. It's, I want to be right. When I look at the situation, I want someone to say, I really want, I, I want to have affirmation or pure vindication in my soul that, I was right. Why do I need that? Why do you need that? Why do you need to know that you did it right? Why is that so powerful? Are we, am I still trying to self-justify before the Lord, trying to morally perform for God when my whole salvation has come because of grace? But I'm still trying to prove myself and say, hey, I am somebody, I can do it. Paul doesn't want any of that in here. I need to be right or I'm in control or Maybe you're saying, no, no, I'm going to keep my busy schedule because I don't want relationships. And he's saying, will you lay it down? Philemon, could you lay it down? Onesimus, could you allow Philemon to lay it down? And could you come together? Could that happen? Or is the hurt so big that the gospel's not big enough to cure it? It's not big enough for your heart to be soft. Hey, it's, it's not easy. I'm not ever saying it is. But... Paul's heart is for these two guys to come together and to be one. And on top of that, I want you to think of one more thing. He's sending Onesimus back. 
What does that imply? Onesimus what? He's going to have to accept the punishment. Whatever punishment that um, Philemon gives him. And in the gospel, you know what you're free to do? Onesimus is free to go back and Philemon's free to give him consequence. What if, what if Philemon believes that um, he needs you know, to, to be out of work for a year? Okay, you know what Onesimus has got to do? Find himself in the gospel enough to know that that's my consequence and it's going to be okay. Or find himself enough in the gospel to accept full um, forgiveness from Philemon. He's got to be free to accept either one. Philemon has to know his heart and to be able to do whatever. Give whatever consequence he wants to. But what Paul is saying overall is saying, look, Philemon, can you be free to not have to punish him? Can you be free to give him grace? That might not be the smartest thing to do. And I'm not saying our homes don't need rules here. That's not what the gospel is saying. We're not saying that that, um, if someone has, um, you know, hit somebody in a car accident, there isn't retribution or there isn't, um, you don't have to make amends in some way. But are we free to forgive? Can Can you forgive? If you've never let someone off the hook, can you? Because from both sides... Right? This will be burden, anxiety off. And what Paul's trying to do here is he's trying to say, look, um, can you consider, or he, he is trying to ha- have both Onesimus and Philemon consider um, the benefits of forgiveness or the benefits of freedom, the benefits that come from restoration. Have you been hurt? What if you were to forgive somebody? What benefit would come to your heart? I think a lot. If you just love to beat yourself up, and that's where you find yourself because you you know you've messed up, if you're still living by works, hey, that makes sense. But if you find yourself in the gospel, Onesimus is really free. He's blown it, but he's free. And that's what Paul is trying to say. This makes no sense out of the church. So if you're not a Christian, this whole, this whole line of thinking here is bananas. It's completely irrational. Because where does your love for somebody else end? Mine is so small in and of myself. Without God, why would I love anybody? Why would I not just love myself? That's what the gospel does to us. And so for those that don't know Jesus, this sounds stupid. This is just going to sound ludicrous. It, I mean... Doesn't make any sense. But in the church at West Town, what would it look like for this to happen? For those that you know are your Christian brother or sister, why should we not be so fast? And I mean fast as in time should not a lot of whole t- uh, not a lot of time should pass before reconciliation should happen. I mean, the forgiving. And the being forgiven of one another, why does it take so long in the church? Why do we want to hang on to it? And Paul says, it's got to be fast. You, it, it can be fast. Restoration can come. All right. So hold on lightly to authority when you're dealing with reconciliation. Consider what? The benefit of both Philemon and Onesimus of reconciliation. Last piece of leverage Paul gives us in verse 15. 
All right, Philemon, if you need one more perspective that should help you understand and welcome this this betrayer back to your life, verse 15, perhaps, perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you, perhaps the reason he ran away from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother. He is very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you. You know him, both as a man or a worker, servant, and as a brother in the Lord. What is he saying here? Perhaps Philemon lost a slave so he could gain what? He could gain him back as a brother forever. Perhaps Joseph was sold into slavery to show the providence of God. Perhaps your brother, who you've been sharing the faith with and is so angry at you for doing that, perhaps God's got an eternal purpose down the line that you can't see right now. Perhaps all that anger that you had, you just couldn't see with God's, God's goggles that he saw Onesimus being saved through the work of Paul. And perhaps Onesimus can come back into your small group. And he can sit there in your living room, Philemon, and you know what the world's going to do? It's going to look at him and say, what? This, this guy pulled one on you, man. And he's in your living room. And you can say to the world, that's right, he's in my living room. Because I'm free to forgive this guy. And you know what the world will say to that? Why would you ever do that? He is just, you're setting him up to, to pull one over on you again, Philemon. And Philemon says, what does it matter? I'm free. I find myself in Jesus. You know what the world's going to say? I've never had anything like that. Something about that smells real, and I've never had it, and everything's conditioned in my life. Could this be real? And maybe the world could look at our church and look at reconciliation and say, hey, you know what? All right, if that's what you're selling, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of reconciliation because I cannot forgive somebody on my own. Perhaps God would save somebody, and that is the ultimate lens that we have to have. His eternal purposes. Those are the glasses we have to have when you are hurt by someone really bad right now. Perhaps God doing something in them that they needed to be away from you so that that stuff could just happen. And maybe they'll bring him back, and maybe he won't. But it's God's purposes. Why, Why were you even born? The Bible says so that you, what, will worship him and enjoy him forever. To glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's it. Where are you this morning? Who have you hurt? Who has hurt you? Who are you in the middle? The mediator between. And you're wondering, what do I do? How can I get these people to see the beauty of reconciliation, the beauty of Christian unity, the beauty of a church coming together all around the work of Jesus. The way up is the way down. Where are you? We believe in God's providence. You're not here by accident. You're here for a reason. This stuff will change your life. This stuff will change your marriage, will change your family, will change your friendships. Tell you what, we don't know what happens. We only can speculate. I mean, I believe Philemon welcomed him back. I believe this was a major reason why, this letter from Paul. Let's pray and ask God to work in our hearts. Father God, there are relationships right now that we are not 
leveraging what you've done for us to either extend forgiveness or accept forgiveness. And uh, I, I pray that you'll allow us to see Jesus' life as pure and utter servanthood to me. That he, he became a slave for me. And that is the only reason why I can look at tomorrow and not fear it and embrace it, whatever it may bring. Because as Paul wrote, for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. We thank you for the healing relationship that we have with Jesus. Extend that to our human relationships, to our horizontal relationships. I believe there are people in this room right now that are holding on to things. And you are saying, why do you walk around so heavy? Why is your, why is your world so heavy laden? I've given you rest. Take the burden off. And there's others of us, God, that are just beating ourselves up. We walk around with a whip and we can't stand what we've done. And it's unnecessary. We are forgiven. It doesn't matter what other voices say. We know what your voice says. May that always be the loudest voice. And then, God, make us salt and light. We thank you for your word and how powerful it is in your name. Amen.